Amen. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Uh, good morning. My name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor of Renovation Church. Morning to you. Hey, before uh, we get into our message from Zechariah, uh, I want to give you just a quick update on our building expansion uh, down the road on 125th and Lexington. So here is what we're planning to have happen uh, over the next few months. So we are hoping, uh, weather depending, to have a couple more outdoor services in August. It's always tricky because we basically have to guarantee no rain in a seven hour stretch because we don't want you to get rained on, we can't let our equipment uh, get rained on, but we're hoping to get outside a couple more times in August. And then uh, when we hit September, we are going to permanently move inside here in this gym and pack out this gym uh, for the month of September as it's going to start to get kind of chilly, especially at that 9 a.m. service in the month of September. So we will be in here for the month of September and then our target to be back in our building is October 1st. Okay, amen. So we have six more weeks here at North Point and then we are back at our building, and when we get back in our building, our expanded parking lot should be done. Uh, access onto 125th from that parking lot should be done. Access onto Lexington should be done. The inside of our expanded lobby should be done. Our expanded worship center should be done. So it's gonna be pretty sweet. Start praying about who you can invite to hear the gospel. I just think the Lord is gonna do some pretty amazing things as we get back in there. However, when we get back in, that'll be at the four-month mark of construction. This is a 10-month construction project. So there are actually still six months to go. And so what's left when we get back? What sort of limitations are there? Probably the biggest short-term limitation is still in children. So some of our children's classrooms are now in the back of the worship center because it expanded that way. And so we have less kids' classrooms than we had when we left the building. And so what that means is for the fall, October, November, December, kids ages 10 and up, uh, so 10 and 11, will be in the worship center with us until we're able to expand our massive kids' wing with 11 classrooms, and that will open in very early January, right around the turn of the year. And then all that will be left after that is our other wing, which is the adult and administrative wing. Uh, that is the wing that has uh, our expanded new parent-child room, our, all of our Renovation U classrooms, offices, conference rooms, our library, all of that is kind of at the end of the project because it's not as mission critical for us to do a Sunday morning. And we're hoping that that and the whole project is wrapped up before Easter, uh, which is the very end of March. So that's kind of what's happening here. We've got six more weeks here, uh, and, then, and then we're back. It's going to be amazing, okay? All right, amen. Okay, let's get into uh, the book of Zechariah. Uh, today, we're going to see a familiar story. I, I think it's a story that really echoes not only all throughout scripture, but all throughout history. And like a drama, I believe it unfolds in five different acts or five different parts. And we're gonna see Zechariah today prophesy about perhaps the most famous version of this five-act story, and that is the coming of Jesus and how people reacted to the coming of 
Jesus. So if you're uh, here for the first time today uh, and you've never heard of Zechariah before, that's okay. This is a Bible teaching church. We help people understand the Bible. So Zechariah was a prophet who lived about 500 years before Jesus. So what we're looking at today are true prophecies that occurred before Jesus came. So I'd love for everybody to see it in the Bible, whether you brought your own or you picked up a Bible on the table or you use our app. Everybody grab something. Uh, Open up to Zechariah chapter 11. Uh, We are in the 11th week of our 14-week series of Zechariah, so that's why we're on chapter 11. Uh, It's page 651 if you picked up a Bible here, or you can use our church app. You just uh, tap summer services in weekly verses. So chapter 11, and we are going to start at verse 4 today. Here's what it says. We're just going to start with 4 through 8. So this is what the Lord my God says. Shepherd the flock marked for slaughter. Their buyers slaughter them and go unpunished. Those who sell them say, praise the Lord. I am rich. Their own shepherds do not spare them. For I will no longer have pity on the people of the land, declares the Lord. I will give everyone into the hands of their neighbors and their king. They will devastate the land, and I will not rescue anyone from their hands. So I shepherded, now this is Zechariah saying this, I shepherded the flock marked for slaughter, particularly the oppressed of the flock. Then I took two staffs and called one favor and the other union, and I shepherded the flock. In one month, I got rid of of the three shepherds. The flock detested me, and I grew weary of them. Okay, what's happening here? This is a bit of a confusing chapter. Uh, It especially doesn't make sense if you miss this point, so don't miss this point. God, and he has done this a couple times in Zechariah, and he's doing it again. He's actually having Zechariah dramatically enact something. It's sort of dramatic visual prophecy here. And God has told Zechariah to go out and literally become a shepherd and shepherd a flock. And what Zechariah is doing by shepherding the flock is he's illustrating what life is gonna be like for the true shepherd, the Messiah, Jesus, when he actually comes. So, and it's a dramatic prophecy, I believe, that really unfolds in five different acts of the story. And now I've labeled these acts for you in the app because I, I want you to see this because it, otherwise it's kind of tricky to understand the flow of this chapter. So if you have your app open and you tap summer services, you can see the five acts as they're listed. They're in the weekly verses as well or they're a separate thing you can click on from summer services. But I want you to look at it because this is the flow of our chapter and the flow of this age-old story. So act one. The first part of the story is this, that God comes in kindness, and he comes in kindness as a shepherd, right? That's how God comes so many times in the Bible. That's how he came in the Garden of Eden, even in the very beginning, right? And that's how Jesus will come 500 years after Zechariah as a shepherd. And verse seven shows us that the true shepherd, Jesus, particularly will shepherd the oppressed, And that was so much of Jesus' ministry, right? Who is he ministering to? Well, to, to the poor and the prostitutes and the destitute and the blind and the deaf. Why? Well, in part because they were the only people humble enough to actually believe in Jesus. But for the rest of us, many of us actually aren't humble enough to follow the shepherd. And that leads us to act two of this familiar story. So you see in your app that act two, the second part of the story, is labeled Simply, we don't want the shepherd. We are offered the goodness of God, and we reject it. Okay, this is the age-old story. Adam and Eve are offered everything in goodness. What do they do? 
they reject it over and over again in the Old Testament. What does God do? He continues to send prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet, and what do they do? They reject their shepherding. And then the Son of God, the Son of God is walking on our earth, on our ground, and what do the Jewish leaders do? They reject him. Look at verse eight in Zechariah. Now again, remember he's the shepherd pretending he's representing the true shepherd and he says the flock, how did they react to the true shepherd? They detested me. And they did. They nailed the son of God to the cross and killed him. They detested their own shepherd. And I would just say, we look at them and we go, well how could they do that? But are we really all that different today? Like in Act One, Jesus, he calls out to you, he calls out to us in love. Hey, and he says, come to me, just come to me. Matthew 11, he says, my yoke is easy. If you just come, come under me, it's easy. My burden is light. Come and I will give you rest. He comes in kindness as a shepherd. And yet, in the depths of most of our hearts is a belief that says, if I... If I were to truly give everything to Jesus, I'm not just talking about come to church, read your Bible. I'm saying you really gave your life over to Jesus. I think buried in most of our hearts is this belief that if we were to do that, that that wouldn't actually bring the freedom or the pleasure or the peace or the joy that we crave. I think a lot of us, we don't say this out loud, but we're afraid that surrender to the shepherd will actually bring more burden than it will bring freedom. And so we too actually live out act two. God comes in kindness and we say, actually no, I don't truly want your shepherding. Why? Why do we, why do we think that way? Well, this is act three, it's the third part of the story. So notice in your app it just says act three is this. Our choices reveal what we think that he's worth. So in other words, okay, let's get deep here. If we look underneath our refusal to surrender everything to God, what we find is the painful truth that we don't truly think that he's worth our surrender. That's a hard word. But it's true, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, just, again, look through the stories. Go back to Genesis 2 and 3, right? Adam and Eve have everything in the garden, everything. But they don't think that it's enough. And God now prophesies through Zechariah that the same thing is gonna happen when the true shepherd comes. People aren't gonna think he's worthy. Let me show this to you as the, the drama unfolds in Zechariah 11. So let's, let's look again and we're at verse nine. I'm gonna kind of read the end of eight there again because it'll make a little bit more sense uh, grammatically. He says, the flock detested me and I grew weary of them, verse nine, and said, I will not be your shepherd. Let the dying die and the perishing perish. Let those who are left eat one another's flesh. Then I took my staff called favor and broke it, revoking the covenant I had made with all the nation. It was revoked on that day, and so the oppressed of the flock who were watching me knew it was the word of the Lord. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay, but if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. 
the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff called union, breaking the family bond between Judah and Israel. Okay, what's, what's happening here? Now remember, Zechariah is, he's representing the true shepherd right, Jesus, who will come 500 years later. And he's saying that if the sheep are not gonna follow him, right, if, if Israel, if all of these believers are not gonna follow their true shepherd, then the covenant with them is going to be broken. He won't be their shepherd anymore. And so he's ending, as he's sort of breaking it off and doing a new thing, in verse 12, we see him say, if you think it best, give me my pay. So in other words, Zechariah was a real shepherd, And he's saying to the people he worked for, like, I went and I did work for you, hard, dirty work shepherding the sheep. And he's essentially saying, what do you think that was worth? What do you think it was worth? And they pay him 30 pieces of silver, which is not a lot. Now, if you've read the Bible some, and I know many of you are just starting to read it, but if you've read it some, that may sort of ring a bell to you, 30 pieces of silver. It's a very significant amount in the scriptures, actually in a couple of places. So if you go all the way back to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, you'll find that in the ancient Near East, thousands of years ago, that if someone had a slave that was killed, then that person needed to be paid the wage of a slave, which was 30 pieces of silver, not a lot. Okay, and so Zechariah has gone out. He was a shepherd. He faithfully shepherded the sheep, just like God instructed him to, and they pay him 30 pieces of silver, just a slave's wage. In other words, they're not giving much value to what Zechariah did. Now remember, this is prophetic. It's prophetic of what is gonna happen to Jesus, okay? It's saying this is what's gonna happen when Jesus comes to shepherd the sheep. And what do we see in the New Testament? So the night before Jesus is crucified, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, agrees to betray Jesus to the Jewish leadership, right? And he secretly sneaks out of the Last Supper, I guess not secretly, he walks out, he secretly goes then to the Jewish leaders, and he says, hey, I'm ready to hand over Jesus to you, and he essentially asks, what is he worth to you? And by the way, that is the quintessential question of our text today. What is he worth to you? I want you to answer that in your heart this morning. What is he worth to you? What is the shepherd worth to you? And the Jewish leaders respond to Judas and they say, 30 pieces of silver. And isn't that fascinating, right? Come on, this is not a book of fairy tales, okay? Because 500 years earlier when Zechariah was play acting that he was the future Messiah, how much did they say he was worth? 30 pieces of silver another prophecy fulfilled. And it's fulfilled even deeper. Look at verse 13 again. Okay, verse 13, it says, and the Lord said to me, Zechariah, throw it, that's the silver, to the potter, the handsome price, he's being sarcastic, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and I threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. Uh, Do you know what happens to Judas after Jesus is crucified? Well, Judas feels such remorse over what he did that he goes back to the temple to the Jewish leaders and he throws, just like Zechariah, he throws the 30 pieces into the temple. And the Jewish leaders say, well, we can't have this blood money in the temple. That would be sinful, right? Well, it's not sinful to kill the son of God, but you can't have blood money, right? (laughs) It's unreal. And so they say, we can't have this. So they take the money 
and they buy the potter's field. And there's the potter again, and the throwing, and the 30 pieces of silver. My, my biggest prayer for our church this summer is that all of these, every single week, we have amazing fulfilled prophecies from Zechariah, right? Every week. I pray this is building your faith in the word of God. But don't miss the larger point of the chapter either, because people over and over again, all throughout these pages, are missing how valuable the shepherding of the true shepherd is because they're not valuing him correctly. And that's the question. How valuable is God to you? What is he worth to you? What's he worth to you? I mean, is God just somebody that you call out to when you're in trouble? Like, is he just someone that you go to only when you really mess up? Is he someone that you follow and obey only when it's convenient? Like, what if tomorrow God calls you to something hard that's gonna take a lot of self-denial? What's he worth to you? See, the truth is, you're only gonna go deeper into God, and you're only gonna go deeper into his loving care if you're willing to follow him into hard places. And you're only gonna do that if you first understand how worthy he is in the first place. But unfortunately, for basically all of human history, humans have vastly underestimated the worth of our God. And thus, rather than turning and saying, he's so worthy, I just gotta follow the good shepherd, we find ourselves, again, moving on to the age-old story, but now we're at act four. And here's what happens when we don't value the shepherd correctly. Act four is this. Our supposed freedom that we think that we're getting because we're not following the shepherd, we're going our own way, our supposed, supposed freedom ends up just being bondage and death. I go back to the beginning again, Adam and Eve. What do they think they're getting? They think, oh, I'm gonna go my own way. I, my eyes will be opened and I will be like God. They think they're getting Garden of Eden 2.0, right? What do they get? What do they get? They're cast out of the garden and experience the pain of this world. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they think we'll just kill him and then we'll finally be free of this. <laughs> nice try, right? But they miss freedom because they killed freedom. And their supposed freedom they thought they were getting ends up being destruction. So in history, God sends judgment on the nation of Israel for rejecting his son. And we know not that long after Jesus that the city of Jerusalem in AD 70 is completely destroyed by the Roman Empire. In fact, you know we've been talking this summer about how they were rebuilding the temple in the days of Zechariah, which they did, and it stood for 500, almost 600 years, but then in AD 70, not long after Jesus, justice comes. They think they're getting freedom, but they get death. Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple's destroyed, almost 1.1 million people are killed in that siege. But we see the warning. It's in Zechariah 11, he's saying, if you reject me, then then it's not gonna go well. This is verse nine, right? If it says, if you reject me as the shepherd, let the dying die. Let the perishing perish. And so hear the word of the Lord this morning. Hear the story as it has unfolded countless times in history. If you don't see the worth of the true shepherd and you say, you know what, I know God says this, but I'm going that way, it will not, it cannot go well for you in the end. Church, this is very serious. Let me, let me just get really practical. 
you know, in a room this size, there are some of you that are saying right now in your head, and you have been saying this the last month, I know that God wants me to X, Y, and Z. It might be, I know that God wants me to stay married. But right now, I just want to leave. Right now, I just want to have an affair. If you devalue his worth and you devalue his wisdom, it cannot lead anywhere good. He is the good shepherd. He is the wise shepherd. If you say, I know that God wants me to raise my kids differently. I know that God wants me to spend my money differently. I know that God wants me to change my career but I cannot obey him because it would be too hard or I just don't want to or I know better. If you devalue his worth and you continually say, I know you want this, but I'm gonna do this. I know you say this, but this is 30 pieces of silver and what I know is gold. If you do that, act four is always the same. It's always the same. It always leads to pain. And what happens is we feel like we're getting freedom, but we get pain, and then comes act five, which is always a bit of a shock to people. And here's how you can name act five. The leader after the shepherd is worse than you can imagine. So here's what happens, this is very interesting. People say, yeah, you know, I used to follow God, I used to follow Jesus, uh, but now I'm kind of doing my own thing, I'm my own person, and we feel like we're getting freedom, but A, act four, we get pain, and then surprisingly, we actually end up just following someone else. And that person is way worse than the true good shepherd ever could have been. And again, you can see, I'll show it to you in, in the scriptures. So like 100 years before Zechariah, the Jews basically throw off Yahweh, the one true God's leadership, and say, we're gonna do our own thing. But what ends up happening, they end up following another leader, not even by their own choice, and they are brought and carried in chains by this new leader, Nebuchadnezzar, to Babylon, right? The Pharisees, they don't wanna follow Jesus, so they reject him, they think we're gonna be our own leaders, no, right, they, actually history tells us they just broke into all sorts of different factions and eventually they're destroyed and have to follow Caesar and many of them are exiled. Adam and Eve, right, they think, I'm gonna throw this off, I'm gonna go my own way, they bite into the fruit. Of course, we've talked about the pain, but instead of listening to God, who were they listening to? Satan. There's always another leader. And that's actually what the final three verses of this chapter are about. And most scholars actually believe this is a prophecy appointing to the Antichrist, the evil leader who will lead the world in the end. So very interesting here. So verse, verses 15 through 17. He says, then the Lord said to me, take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. So now he's play acting someone else. This is going to be the Antichrist. For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost. Right? It's anti-Christ. He's doing the opposite of Christ. Or seek the young, or heal the injured, or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep, tearing off their hooves. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. May his arm be completely withered and his right eye totally blinded. 
And in the end of days, the Bible says there will be this antichrist who will lead the masses astray. He'll look like a good shepherd at first, but then he'll be worse than anyone ever imagined. In fact, Paul speaks um, uh, quite lengthy about the antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter two. I encourage you to read that chapter this week. I wanna read you just a section of it. Again, this is in your app. But in second, second, that's hard to say, Second Thessalonians uh, chapter two, uh, starting at verse nine, uh, Paul says this. He says, the coming of the lawless one, that's the Antichrist, will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders. So you're gonna see the miraculous through evil that serve the lie. In all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So Paul's saying, in the end of days, one of the main problems is the truth is gonna be right in front of people, but they refuse to believe the truth. And the main reason is because they love wickedness. And then this evil leader is gonna come along and one of the things he'll do is he will endorse their wickedness as a way of sort of getting them under him and then he'll take control. But that's the way in. And what's kind of interesting is you can see the same pattern in history. Of course, it'll happen in the future but you can even see it now. I think when you talk to people and many of you have people like this uh, that you work with or they're even your siblings or your kids or your close family members, people who they've walked away from Christ Okay, they've walked through all the different acts of the story and now they're at act five and they feel like, oh, I'm not, I don't go to church, I've thrown off Christ, but what's happened? Right, they always end up following somebody else. You know, now they're not following Jesus, but they're dedicated to the latest social media influencer who's teaching them some new teaching about sexuality or relationships or morality. They're not following Jesus anymore, but it's like they're religiously devoted to the latest political leader. I see people who say that they've, they've deconstructed their faith and they've walked away from Jesus Christ, but if you look at them, they are religiously following the teaches, teachings of the latest author who taught them how to walk away from their faith. We are always following somebody. And so my friend, I urge you, follow no one but King Jesus. Because they they just can't lead you anywhere good. They come and they promise you these lighter loads. They say, oh, you're gonna feel so much less burden when you're not living in self-denial and follow. When you just throw that all off and you can live however you want, oh, the load is so much lighter, but they're lying to you. Because packed within that lie, is the pain of sin, which is always delayed, and the pain of depression, and the pain of anxiety. What they offer you is what I would call chocolate-covered hooks. Do not bite it. Now is the time to trust King Jesus again. Don't trust anybody else. Now is the time to come back to the good shepherd. And if you, have, if you are in this room and you are a follower of Jesus and you have wandered from him and you know in your heart it has been a while since you have felt that passion and that love for Jesus, my friend, come back to him today. If you know that you are following somebody else instead of Jesus, repent of it today. Say, Jesus, I am so sorry. I know it's not gonna lead anywhere good. That's five-act story. It's played out a million times. I want you. That, that's what the Bible calls repentance. You turn 
turn from that. You say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm walking with you. And you can do it today. It doesn't matter if you've gone far away. It doesn't matter if you've sinned. Because if this is a measure of your sin and it's going up and down, right here, this is Jesus' love for you. Look at it. It's not changing. And so you can come back today. You come back to the good shepherd. He stands like the father of the prodigal son waiting for you to come home. So come home today. And let me speak to some of you in this room that honestly, you've never, let's be real, you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You maybe been around church, you maybe know something about Christianity, but you haven't trusted your life to Jesus. He isn't your personal savior, your leader. I want you to know that you can actually know him. He can save you. That's why he came. The Bible says he loves you so much that he came and he was brutally murdered on a cross for you, for you, because he loved you so much that he came to take the punishment that you deserved for your sins. That is unreal. Even though he knew about all your sins, he came and he died a brutal, bloody death on the cross because he wanted to take the punishment you deserved. And the Bible says the only way that you can be relieved of that punishment, the only way that you can actually be forgiven is by believing in him in faith. By saying, Jesus, I believe you did that for me and I want to give my life to you. I'm giving it to you today. I'm surrendering it all to you. I want you to be my savior, my leader. And what happens when you do that? It says God will come in, he will make a home in you so you can actually know him, you can talk to him, you can feel him, and you can be forgiven because he died for you, and you can go to heaven for all of eternity and not hell because he will have paid for your death. But there is a limited window to make that decision because we don't, our lives don't last forever, right? And at some point, our lives are gonna run out. And the only way that we can know and be forgiven is to make the choice to follow him while we're still living, while we're still breathing. And so if you just know in your heart that you've never trusted in him and that without faith in him that you're not saved, please get saved today. Put your faith in him and let him be your savior and leader. In fact, I wanna give you an opportunity to give your life to Jesus Christ and let him change your life today, okay? So let's just have everybody in, in the room, would you just close your eyes just, just for a minute? And if I've been talking to you the last couple of minutes and you know, you, you, yes, you know something about God, maybe you grew up or you, you got confirmed and you went to church, but you've, you've never actually given your life over to Jesus. Truly trust that he died for your sins and committed your life to him. Let's do that today. This is how you really can walk with God and be forgiven. And so if you need to do that in just a second, I'm actually gonna ask you to quietly stand where you are now, nobody's gonna be looking at you, so I just have everybody close their eyes. But I just know, having been a pastor for almost two decades now, I know that sometimes people need that line in the sand moment where you just go, yep, it's today, it's August 13th, I'm gonna stop running, and I am turning my life over to him. If he died for me, I am living for him. And if you need to make that decision to be forgiven, today, make it today. So if I'm talking to you while everyone has their eyes closed, what I want you to do is just stand up for Jesus if you need to commit your life to him and be forgiven today. If that's you, would you just stand wherever you're at? Go ahead. Amen. Anyone else? We just need to make that decision. Would you just stand wherever you're at? No matter what you've done, he loves you. 
No matter if you thought for so long that you didn't even need him, but today you realize you do, would you stand and trust in him? Anyone else? Let me give you another 10 seconds or so. If you can just feel it in your heart and you know you need to turn your life over to him, would you do so? Anyone else? All right, if you're, if you're standing, I want to pray with you. The Bible says that when you make this decision that we, you believe in your heart, but you confess with your mouth. So I just want to pray this, and I want you to just repeat this after me out loud. Whether you just made this decision or you've believed much of your life, you can repeat after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins. And now I commit to following you with my life. Okay, as everyone still has their eyes closed, uh, if you made a decision for Christ or you really wanted to and you just didn't, uh, we still want to help you in this decision. In fact, if you're standing, I'm going to ask you to walk out into the hallway uh, and we'll give you some next steps follow-up so you know kind of where to follow uh, with Jesus, what to do next. And so if you're standing or you want to make this decision, as I'm going to pray here in a second, why don't you just go out into the hallway and I'll meet you out there in about 20 seconds and give you some next steps for anyone who wants to make this decision to trust in Christ. All right, I'm going to pray and you can walk out there. All right, Lord Jesus, we, th- we thank you for today. We thank you uh, for your word in Zechariah all of the prophecies, God, that have come true. We're so, so grateful for that. And Lord, we just, we love you. We thank you for your grace that even though we ignore you and we stray from you, that you forgive us and that you can be our good and wise and true shepherd. It's in your name we pray, amen.